I'm Jason. And I'm Sam. And we thank you for listening to Vocations and Vacations Podcast. Let's start the show. On episode five of Vocations and Vacations Podcast with Jason and Sam, we will be talking about our vocation as pastor and what a pastor's wife does. And we will highlight Branson a bit more as we recently took a vacation to Branson with our right now kids. So concerning the vocation as a pastor, while each different denomination has their own view of the pastor, I will be speaking from the confessional Lutheran perspective of pastor. The vocation or calling of pastor is a noble task in which men, called by the Holy Spirit, shepherd the flock of God that they serve. Normally the pastor is the public face of the congregation, and, as such, leads the service, reads the scriptures, preaches God's word to God's people, offers up prayers on behalf of the congregation, and, of course, teaches the people. If there are multiple classes being offered at the same time, they also oversee the teaching and instruction of those who are being taught. Some pastors have musical talents and are part of choirs, play the guitar, the organ, or the piano, or other things during the service, but this is not a requirement. In the service, especially in the divine service, The pastor speaks on behalf of God to the people of God as he forgives the people through the voice of the pastor. The pastor is God's spokesman for the people who hear God's word. God delights to forgive his people who confess their sins and want to live as God has called them. Another thing which the pastor does is visit the sick and the shut-ins. This is to bring the church to the people who can't come to church. The service of the nursing home and in shut-ins is usually a bit shorter than the Sunday service or the Wednesday evening services, but serve the same purpose, bringing God's word to his people. There are many different things that we could talk about with respect to the office of the keys, but there will be more time in a bit, plus we can revisit different topics in the future. Since I'm a confessional Lutheran pastor, and while not everything that Martin Luther wrote or spoke is included in the confessions of the Book of Concord, let us see what he has to teach the church about what the pastor does. While looking at Psalm 82 verse 2, How long will you judge unjustly and show partiality to the wicked? Luther says, My pastor, who does not glitter, is practicing the virtue that increases God's kingdom, fills heaven with saints, plunders hell, robs the devil, wards off death, represses sin, instructs and comforts every man in the world according to his station in life, preserves peace and unity, raises fine young folk, and plants all kinds of virtue in the people. In a word, he is making a new world. He builds not a poor temporary house, but an eternal and beautiful paradise in which God himself is glad to dwell. Before I talk about the vocation as pastor's wife, Jason, I would like to give ourselves a pat on the back. We are actually taping, I always call this taping, recording a episode a month after. We always say we're going to do a monthly one, and this is finally our, what, our fifth episode? Yes. And we actually did it. We have, we did it, and we did it. Uh, today is the 21st, so we did not wait until like July 31st. So yes. that's a little celebration that I have for us. I'm patting us on the, myself, and I hope Jason's patting himself on the back right now that we actually got this done. Um, so I'm going to talk about the vocation of a pastor's wife. Now, I do not think I am the end-all be-all on knowledge of a pastor's wife. Um, you know, I one of my favorite speakers, Heidi Gaiman, said that, you know, sometimes it's interesting, you know, we have these, you know, these retreats, and I'm not saying they're not great, these retreats and things for pastors wives, which is wonderful. Um, but it is unrealistic to expect a bunch of women who all have 
different stories, different personalities, um, different life experiences to get along and to connect just because they're a pastor's wife. Now, there are some things that are very universal that you just get as a pastor's wife, you know, um, being away from family, um, loneliness, um, you know, having to find your own, you know, place in the world and, you know, to bloom where you're planted, all that. Um, but, you know, I will say there are some things that are universal um, and there are some things that are very different, but, you know, we're all not the same just because, you know, that would be silly if we were all the same people. Um, but when you talk about the vocation of a pastor's wife, I really researched this and looked at it um, from a Lutheran perspective. Um, so one of my favorite responses to the vocation of pastor's wife is from Pastor Matt Richard, um, which was posted in November of 2013 on Steadfast Lutherans on their website. Um, I'll have Jason provide a link for the full article on our website, vocationsandvocations.com. I'm not going to read the whole thing because we'll be here for an extra 20 minutes. Um, and the article opens with a question that Pastor Richards then answers. Um, and I'll summarize it. Someone on Facebook um, was concerned about um, situations or instances they had heard where churches had unrealistic expectations of pastor's wives. And they asked, you know, what is the role of a pastor's wife um, in the Lutheran church? Um, and like I said, I'm not going to read the whole article, but some of my favorite parts I'll read. Um, the first part that he, well, I actually should say how he opens after that question is with a really funny example. Um, it's an obvious fake wanted ad for a pastor's wife. So Pastor Pastor Richard um, shares a, it's very much tongue in cheek, fake wanted ad for a pastor's wife that says, help wanted, pastor's wife, must sing, play music, lead youth groups, raise angelic children entertain church notables, minister to other wives, have the ability to recite the Bible backward, and choreograph the Christmas pageant. Must keep the pastor happy, peaceful, and out of trouble. Difficult colleagues demanding customers erratic hours. Pay zero dollars. So as I stated previously, the the wanted ad, it's funny, um, it, but it does drive home the fact that some, of course, not all churches, regardless of denomination, um, it's not fair to say, well, this denomination does this to the pastor's wife and this does this. That's not realistic because every church body is different. Um, that um, some, But some churches, regardless of the denomination, like I said, um, they view the pastor's wife as almost a co-pastor. And Pastor Richard goes on to explain his theory of even though there are Lutheran churches out there that are guilty of viewing a pastor's wife as a co-pastor, he feels that the co-pastor issue is less likely to happen in the Lutheran church because of the doctrine called the office of the keys. And Jason, since you are the one who actually has the degree in ministry, I would like you, since I am not a pastor, to explain the office of the keys. So the office of the keys, it's part of the the part of confession and absolution, part of the catechism. So it's the fifth chief part. And what it talks about especially is the pastor on behalf of the people has been given the office of the keys. So what the office of the keys pertains to is found especially in chapter 16 of Matthew's gospel, where Jesus tells Simon Peter, uh, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, uh, for not flesh, but God has given this to you, uh, that you have the ability to call me the Son of God. And part of that is Jesus hands over the keys of the church to the church, uh, not just to Simon Peter, but to the whole of the apostles and also to those who were installed as pastors by the apostles. So they open and loose 
or they close and shut heaven's door to those who are impenitent, but they loose it, they open heaven to those who are repentant, those who confess their sins. Uh, this is also found in John chapter 20, uh, as Jesus rises from the dead and comes to, to Simon Peter, and he tells him, feed my lambs, feed my sheep, uh, care for those who are in your care. And so the pastor, as he cares for the people, he forgives them their sins, both in the divine service, as well as in their everyday callings, uh, especially when they come and avail themselves of confession and absolution. So the office of the keys pertains to opening and closing heaven. So to go off of that, another great quote from the article, to reiterate what Jason said is, is this, keep in mind that the office of the ministry is a public office of the church where a pastor is called to publicly exercise the office of the keys and administer the blessed sacraments to the congregation. The reason why this is important to understand is that it is just the pastor that is called to this office, not his wife. The wife does not recite the installation vows and the wife is not ordained. She is not called to the public ministry of applying long gospel from the pulpit and administering the sacraments. Being the church's pastor is not her vocation. What this means is that the pastor's wife is neither an extension of the pastoral office, nor is she some sort of shepherd to the women's ministry group, for she has not been entrusted with the public application of the keys are called to administer the blessed sacraments. According to our theology of the priesthood of all believers, she is simply another church parishioner who receives the gospel, confesses Christ crucified, serves and loves others in the congregation, and happens to be married to the called and ordained pastor, to which I told Jason, I said, to which let the people let the people shout amen. Um, I find that so freeing. I think that is something that, um, you know, if I ran a, uh, a boot camp for, <laughs> for new pastor's wives, I would, I would give them this laminated on a bookmark or something. Um, because it, it often is a question, you know, how do I fit into the church? What is my role? Um, and what I always say is that, you know, what Pastor Richard said, you, you know, you are a member of the church. You happen to be married to the call, the called and ordained pastor. Um, and I'm very thankful that, you know, Jason, you shepherd a congregation that has always treated me as a church member who just so happens to be married to the pastor. Um, you know, that when we moved here, very thankful that they understood um, that I was, you know, looking for a job and I had to finish my master's. Um, and that would be unrealistic to expect me to be involved in many things. And also unfair. If my gifts are not, you know, put into the, the Christmas pageant, I shouldn't do it because just because I'm the pastor's wife. You know, that should be open to all the members of the church. Now, I will say what I love about our congregation is that they've always treated me as sister in Christ. They've always treated me as Sam and not um, the first lady of a church, which, um, for me personally, I'm not knocking anyone who gets called that, but for me, that would make me cringe. I, I don't want that title. I don't want to be the first lady. I don't want to be on a pedestal. I just want to be Sam. Um, you know, I can't play the organ. I can run our organ music through the, <laughs> through the computer. Um, and I help out with funeral, um, lunches because, you know, we're in a small congregation. Everybody needs to pitch in with funeral lunches and I enjoy it. And there's some other things that I've done, but what's beautiful, what the thing I like best about our congregation, besides how wonderful they are to Jason is that they just let me be me, which is what I've always said from the beginning. I think, you know, I've always said to you is that I've always just wanted to be part of a church congregation that just does not I don't want to be separated or viewed as special just because of who I happen to marry. So really the vocation of a pastor's wife is like any other woman. It's just, you know, you just happen to be 
married to a pastor. Yep. And we should also hear what Luther says in the small catechism, especially in the table of duties. So he addresses the bishops, the pastors, and the preachers in this way, looking at 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 4, quoting from the NIV. Now the overseer must be above reproach, the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not given to drunkenness, not violent but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect. He also quotes 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 6. He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and to fall into the condemnation of the devil. And then finally, from Titus chapter 1, verse 9, he must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught, so he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. If you would like to receive a free copy of A Simple Explanation of Christianity, be sure to visit the LSC request page at vocationsandvacations.com and fill out the form. Okay, on to talking about our vacation. We talked about vocations, and now we'll talk about vacation. We went to Branson, which we've talked about Branson multiple times in the episodes that we've done. Um, We want to take our right now kiddos um, relatively close. I mean, for us, I think some people would view it as far away. Um, But when you travel to see family, 11, 12 hours or 10, 11 hours, I guess seven hours doesn't seem that bad. It's not that far. It's not that far for us because of our... Um, experiences of having to drive or fly to family since our families both live far away. Um, You know, beautiful views, green. Um, We always say it says something for everyone. The kids, they had a blast uh, just riding around in big red and going down the hills and seeing the trees and sights. I mean, that's not all we did. (laughs) It's not like we went there and we just drove around. But but if it would have been all we did, it would have been enough. As one of our right now kids, she said, I want to go to the slide road. And like slide road. Yeah, the road that goes down and has twists and turns in it. <laughs> she, yes, our, our oldest one, oldest musketeer, always wants to take the back roads to everything, which would be great and something we could do if it didn't take us so long to get other places. So um, occasionally we'll take a different route just because she always has um, this desire to see a different route, which I understand. Um I think she'll be a great road tripper someday. Um, you know, it's very exciting for flatlanders like us, the green and the trees and the hills and the mountains. Um, and as always, we had some detours. And as always, you know, as my friend says, when you have kids and you have multiple kids, you always can guarantee that someone's going to get sick. Um, so one child explained motion sickness and needed an outfit change and some comforting after getting sick. Um, but other than that, I felt like the drive to Branson uh, which we did split into two days was fair. I mean, it was fairly pleasant. Yeah, it was pleasant, especially with the two days on the way out. On right. the way on the way back home, as we normally do, it's just one solid shot. Yeah, just spend the day in the car, and the kids are okay with that. Well, when you got TV or an iPad and some downloaded videos for them to watch, mm-hmm. they're more agreeable. Mm-hmm. All right, so we want to talk about some places to stay in and around Branson, as well as just other things in general. So what we're going to talk about is hotels, beds and breakfasts, resorts, and then also a a condo or a VRBO. So we'll start with hotels because that's what we have a lot of our experience in, though not personally in Branson. Uh, But one thing tends to happen, especially during the summer, is various sports groups, especially summer baseball, summer softball and gymnastics, as well as dance competitions and everything else out there, 
Well, they travel during the summer for competitions, and the kids are, of course, excited, and they continue to carry that excitement around with them all the time, even into the wee hours of the morning. Right, Sam? (laughs) Yes, we have experienced that, yes. So peaceful sleep is sometimes difficult to get in a busy hotel. Yet hotels have the advantage of being cheaper per night, along with many providing a decent breakfast, and they also have different activities, especially a pool, where relaxation can occur for the little ones. Many kids fondly remember the pool, if not everything else about the trip. Hotels, they often have ample parking spaces, and if you are traveling with a group, this can be of a tremendous advantage. There's usually the ability to get closer to the action, so hotels are kind of in busier areas, and they allow you to schedule a lot more time around where you plan on staying. And yet there are some downsides. Some of the downsides to hotels are that you tend to be surrounded by concrete, and it can be challenging to have space to cook or simply to make a meal like peanut butter and jelly or peanut butter and Nutella as one of our kids wants in a hotel room. And not all of them have separate rooms to allow for nap times, and then also going to bed can be a challenge with little ones. So the next one we're going to talk about, the next option... Um, our bed and breakfast, like I said, we did bed and breakfast the first two times. We did the same one, Crystal Cove bed and breakfast. Awesome place. Um, you know, bed and breakfast options, they tend to be more for adults only, especially couples, and offer some of the similar advantages to hotels, especially larger places. But like I said, generally not family friendly. Um, this also applies to Airbnb destinations. We have enjoyed our time at Crystal Cove Bed and Breakfast. I really hope we can go back someday, but I know we'd have to go without the kids. Um, a one-room cabin with a whirlpool tub and one bathroom is definitely not family-friendly for us. <laughs> that would not be good. Um, the breakfast was amazing at um, our bed and breakfast. Um, you know, Jason always says it was a lot better than, you know, some of the breakfasts we had at local places. Um, Bob's breakfasts are fantastic. I was teasing Jason. I said, do you want to stop by Crystal Cove and knock on the door and ask um, him if we get five takeout five takeout containers of breakfast um, just because it's so good. Like I said, a bed and breakfast I think is awesome for a couple. Um, but when you have multiple kids or kids um, or you're, you know, we wouldn't stay in a one room bed and breakfast with like my parents. I mean, that'd be silly or your mom or your, your brother. Like that's, it's more for couples. Um, you, I would definitely look for different options when you're bringing family or you and your family are traveling in a group. So the next place would be a resort. Resorts have a feeling more like a hotel, but have the luxuries of condos, townhouses, and also VRBOs, which Sam will talk about in a bit. You'll find resorts a bit more appealing, but with more luxuries often comes increased prices. Of course, the advantage of resorts are restaurants on site, not just one main eatery, but several different ones as well as different services, including spa services, which can be arranged. And some even have an all-inclusive option, which means your dining and sometimes your drinks are included in the cost. While no two places are the same, many resorts offer similar attractions, amenities, and, of course, specials. One place that might not be a fancy place to stay, Grand Country Resorts and Water Park, as they have an all-inclusive option, which includes unlimited food, drinks, and most of their attractions. There are still options for different activities that cost extra, but they are not must-do activities, though the kids will (laughs) probably say otherwise. So where we chose to go was we did, um, we stayed at a condo um, and we used VRBO and our condo was great about it. It was spacious. It was comfy. 
It had a fabulous master bath suite. I think the walk-in closet and the master, master bath suite was about the same size as the master bedroom itself. It was it was really great. Condo was very clean and had enough space and full and had a full kitchen, so we could have meals there and not eat takeout for every meal, which we all know um, that gets very tiresome and expensive with with kids, multiple kids, and also you know if you're on vacation, the kiddos they're not in their normal routine. They're usually in sensory overload. You're really doing yourself a disservice if you go out to every meal and them because they do need some downtime and you know going out to eat for every meal is exhausting for you and them and and for your wallet um the girls loved using the jacuzzi tub when they would each take their baths for the night and felt like i did as a kid my aunt and uncle had a big jacuzzi tub and i got to you know if i stayed the night i got to use it and i always felt that was like the height of luxury like you know this is this is if you you've made it in life if you get to use a jacuzzi or whirlpool tub um the condo was about five minutes from branson landing so that was nice it was close but it wasn't too close the condo had a balcony which the kiddos enjoyed playing on um, because they love seeing all the trees and birds and squirrels. And like I said, it was very green. And out here where we live, there's not a lot of trees, not a lot of green. So I don't think the kids see as many animals as they did. So they would just stand on the balcony and, you know, shout squirrel or, you know, bird and had a lot of fun. Um, The area around the condo, that was relatively quiet, um, though I did tease Jason. I said, the people in the condo above us, um, it seemed like when they walked, they were dropping bowling balls or something when they moved around during the day. Um, There was a great pool once we found it. We had a little hiccup. We thought what was the pool was another complex's pool, and then the pool we went to looked like an adults-only pool, and then we came in with our kids, and it was just loud. But then about three miles away, we actually found the family pool, um, and that was fun. And, um, you know, for it was very easy parking, which is something that as a Zon, that's always like the number one thing I'm concerned with is, besides keeping the game plan, is how easy easiest parking downside condo was beautiful which that was kind of a downside um it had a lot of breakables and it had white or beige carpeting so we went through and you know put all the breakables out of reach of our toddler and then we were pretty militant about making sure the kids didn't spill anything on the carpet or us as adults that we didn't spill our coffee um and we did almost make it through the trip without breaking anything but right as we're leaving um our toddler just loved this wind chime, even though we told them to not play with it. Um, they could stay, sit out there and just whack it, you know, hit it back and forth for hours. Um, they got really excited and they managed to rip a wind chime off the balcony decoration. So we didn't quite make it out without breaking something, which we were bummed about. Um, we did leave a note, though, and we did um, leave funds to compensate for the broken wind chime. So condo, great for us. Um, I would do it again. I may look for one that doesn't have as many breakables just because it was, you know, it, it, might, it would be better for older, like older kids. Like our oldest, I didn't worry about her breaking anything, but with a toddler, Everything seems kind of like something that could they could get in trouble too into. So the next thing we're going to talk about is the attractions. Um, Jason and I, I was telling Jason we've never gone to an amusement park together in our entire time together, but that changed uh, this month because we did go to the number one attraction in Branson, 
which is Silver Dollar City. It's amusement park. It reminded me a lot of Dollywood, which is great. I like Dollywood. Um, it's set back in like the late 1800s. Um, it's very, very busy. Uh, we were in line to get into the parking lot at what? Nine. I think it opens at nine 30. Yeah. It opens at nine 30 and we were there the first day at nine 45. Yes. And it was already packed. You know, we had already the prime parking or as my dad says, the primo parking was already taken. Um, we had to park, I wouldn't say super far away, but you know, there was already filling up quickly. Um, we made the mistake of, not taking the tram on the first day. Um, you know, we saw these people walking in the tram and we looked at the sign and said, oh, you know, it only says a five minute walk to the park. That's not bad. And um, I think it's a five minute walk to the park if maybe you have an Olympic gold in speed walking. Because um, even our oldest, who's very athletic, likes physical activity, she looked at me and she's like, this is really far away. This is longer than five minutes. And you have to remember, Branson is not flat. Um, particularly Silver Dollar City. Um, so by the time I think we got to the park, I think we were already pretty sweaty and hot and red faced, you know, cause you're pushing a stroller where the girls are carrying stuff. I'm carrying stuff. So when we got our picture taken, it, we already looked like we had maybe gone through the park that day. Um, so take the tram. Um, it is not a five minute walk to the park. Um, unless maybe you have an Olympic gold, like I said, in speed walking, uh, we did a two day pass. So we went, um, early in the morning, both days, and we left around noon or one each day for lunch to try to get to try to get the young ki- youngest kiddos down for a nap. Um, the youngest said, "I know nap." Yes, he he made his demands clear. Yeah, I know nap. He went. They went on a nap strike the entire time we were vacationing. So that was <laughs> that was fun. Uh, we really enjoyed, you know, Silver Dollar City. Um, the kids did, but man, it is hot in Missouri in the summer. Um, very hot. So make sure to drink water and to go into the AC when you can. Um, like I said, Silver Dollar City has hills and prepare to walk. Um, Silver Dollar City has something for everyone. They have demonstrations of how things were made in the late 1800s. They have glass blowing. They have musical performances. They have, as we said, big kid rides, younger kid rides. Um, and to the light of our toddler, a train ride. That was the height of his experience around the park. And it has a little stop and a little comedy skit performed with a train conductor and two potential train robbers. Um, and our toddler loved the train so much before the train came. Um, we there, The waiting area looks like a train station. He would run around the train station and, you know, get someone's attention and get everyone hyped up. And he would shout, Twain, the Twain is almost here. And everyone was laughing because he just kept, you know, he was like the hype man for the train. And then when we were done, of course, we had to pretty much drag him off. Um, because they wanted to ride the Twain again. Um, and, you know, I said to the conductor, I said, he's not upset because he's upset that he didn't like it. I said, he's upset because he wants to do it again. And he doesn't understand there's a line of people and we can't just ride it again. Um, on the second day, we had decided to pay additional fee to have breakfast at Silver Dollar City an hour before the park opened, which that was a great choice. Um, breakfast was pretty good. But for me, the best part, and I think for you, the best part is we got to get we got to go to the park early. And so we got a better free parking spot. The tram was easy. You know, we didn't have to wait in line to get on the tram because, um, you know, we had paid for that breakfast. So we were able to get on the tram quicker. And then we were already in the park when it actually opened. And of course, though, I will say this, and this is part of the reason that we would go in the morning and then come back so we could eat lunch at home is that, you know, food is expensive. 
And other than the breakfast, we did have to wait in line with hungry kids for food, um, which is not a great combination. So as my dad says, when the kids are hungry, hot, and tired is a recipe for, as he calls it, meltdown city. So, um, and that's universal. I'm sure any parent out there, anyone who's dealt with kids, um, if they're hungry, hot, and tired, it's meltdown city. So I will say that, that um, I would recommend, you know, if you can, maybe get a two-day pass so you can break it up. Um, Because food, I mean, when you have a larger family, it is expensive. Um, So, Jason, what did you want to talk about? Yeah, so as, as far as the food goes, also be sure to look out for different specials. Uh, I wish that we personally did the tasting passport or maybe several of them. Uh, on the tasting passport, you pay, I think, $35 flat fee, and you get to f- try five different menu items, and there's a list of about 30 or 40 different items that you can try. And the items that you would be buying are at a slightly reduced cost, but you also have to try to keep track of what you want to try, what you've already tried, and what the kids want to try, and everything else, and it can be a real hassle. Uh, it would be great for those who are wanting to try it all and not feel like they have to pay $300 to try everything. And then again, the food was really, really, really good. Previously in episode three, we talked about some other attractions and dining options that we enjoyed, including Wonderworks, the Titanic Museum, Branson Landing, Shepherd of the Hills, Whodunit Hoedown, Murder Mystery Dinner Theater, The Showboat Branson Bell, Guy Fieri's American Kitchen and Bar, and, of course, the College of the Ozarks' delicious food at Dobbins Dining Hall at the Keter Center. So we're not going to talk about them today. You can go back and listen to Episode 3 or ask us about them, and we'll, of course, tell you. But we will be talking about another dinner theater. We went to Dolly Parton's Stampede. Sam had been to a Dolly Parton Stampede before, but this was my first time as well as the first time for our right-now kids. Our youngest musketeer loves to eat with his hands. He's three, after all but he enjoyed playing with the fork that they gave us at Dolly Parton's Stampede. We had seen the Zimmern list, and Sam remembered how they told you you have to eat with your hands, so the fork, as well as the moist towelette afterward, were a welcome surprise. Oh, and we also purchased the souvenir mugs in advance to keep as a keepsake, and Sam, of course, was pleased to find out that they had Coke <laughs> products. A Diet Coke on a hot day goes down real nice. The dinner theater aspect of the show was great, I don't know which I personally liked better, the dinner or the show. Everyone is going to have a different perspective of the show, but it was a wonderful all-around performance. Our kids have continued to ask us, do you know Skeeter, one of the performers? And they also remembered fondly, those dogs were so fast. I personally think our youngest said it best. Fire! Fire right there! Several points throughout the show, especially when one of the performers rode two horses through the ring of fire. I personally just wish some Johnny Cash might have been playing, but you can't always get what you want. Sam, anything else about the stampede? Um, you know, it, the only thing I would say is that it, you know, I, I agree with what you said on the way home, where you said I wish there was a middle ground between either your child sits on your lap and shares meal, shares your meal, or they had a kitty meal, because we did pay for a seat for each kid because we're like, well. I don't really want them sitting on my lap for two hours, you know, and so a lot of the food was wasted. You know, he said, do you want a carry out bag? And we said no, because we were leaving the next day. And um, but, you know, I, I don't think that it's not that the kids didn't like it. I think, honestly, they were so entranced by 
everything, the show and everything that they just forgot to eat sometimes. You know, I would have to remind them. I would say, hey, you know, finish your soup or finish your chicken um, because I don't want you to be hungry. But they would just were so mesmerized that they would forget to eat, which I think led to that. Um, But no, I love it. I would do it again. Um, I did it about 11 years ago. I did it now. Um, It's a lot. I love I always recommend the Dolly Parton Stampede. I think it's fun. All right, so now we turn to our fun fact. You're going to learn something with each episode. It might be what we want to impart. Or it might not. But you're going to learn something because we continue to learn in life. Sam, what is the tallest structure in Branson? Now, I did actually know this one. I didn't know all this information, but it is um, the Shepherd of the Hills Inspiration Tower, which is located on Inspiration Point, the highest point in southwest Missouri. The tower stands at 230 feet tall, weighs over 3 million pounds, can withstand 225, excuse me, 224 hour miles per hour gusts and 160 miles per hour sustained winds. And you can get a free pass to this if you want to do the Vigilante Extreme Zip Rider. Otherwise, the cost is pretty affordable for the views at $10 per adult, $8 per child, or $30 for two adults and all the kids under 18. Which is cool. Oh, this is really cool. On a clear day, you can see 90 miles away. And the Vigilante Extreme Zip Rider is a four-person ride boasting the highest zip line in Missouri, beginning at 140 feet in the air, reaching speeds at 550 miles per hour. 55. I'm sorry. 550. Did I say 555? It would still be terrifying to me if it was 555 or 55 miles per hour. And is over a half mile long. And it's definitely not for anyone in this family. <laughs> it's not the our, our you know the oldest our oldest one does not like heights. I'm not into heights. I don't want, think Jason wants to ride this. No. Um. So this we could do the tower, the inspiration tower, where you go up. But I will definitely say that the Vigilante Extreme Zip Rider. Next time we go to Branson, which I see is going to Branson more than three times in our life. Um. I don't think this is ever going to be on our list. No, I don't think so. It, we can cross it off the list. Yeah, we'll cross that one off the list. All right, so we'll come back to your ears next month, hopefully. Hopefully. For Vocations and Vacations podcast with Jason and Sam, I'm Jason. And I'm Sam. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Vocations and Vacations Podcast. We hope that you enjoyed the show. If you want to find out more about Vocations and Vacations, please make sure to visit our website at www.vocationsandvacations.com. You can book your next travel arrangements with us. We specialize in family vacations and religious travel, especially the Holy Land and the birthplace of the Reformation, Germany. We can't wait to come to you next time on Vocations and Vacations Podcast with Jason and Sam. See you next time.